Today on the Cule Podcast, citizens of Calgary, time to pony up the dollars. Players going down with concussions, but nothing really from player safety. Shocker. Angel has a new code of conduct and a new declaration of principles, and Dallas makes an immediate change. What does the future hold for Mr. Taylor Hall? We will talk about that and more on the Kill Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kewl Podcast, your favorite hockey podcast for sure. I know that none of you are disagreeing with what I just said. Everyone loves this show. It's the best show across the podcasting network world thingamabob. Whatever you listen to us on, you know you love it. You listen to us on Spotify. You listen to us on Google Podcasts. You listen to us on Apple Podcasts. You listen to us on SoundCloud. You listen to us on everything, including your mother's radio, because somehow you hacked it to have Amazon, and you say, Siri, or whatever, what is it, Alexa, play me the Kill Podcast. I think, it, can you do that? I don't, I don't know. Or can you do that for the Google one, at least? The Google Wave, or whatever that Wi-Fi dual duo thing? I don't know what it is. I Listen, I have a laptop. I you know use a lot of technology, but... When it comes to those voice command things, you know, the the stuff that clearly the NSA really listens to you on, I'm not too familiar with. But I knew if I had one, I would abuse it to death. That, it would just be horrible. I would just yell from across. Now, yes, it'd be nice. Hey, Alexa, remind me to, you know, put add this to my grocery list or create grocery. I, I would become the laziest person. I've become lazier than I am now. And for those that know me, that's pretty darn lazy i i just like to not do anything so i'll just go and lay on the couch play a little chill have a beer or a coke i mean it's that time of year where i need to have my glass santa cokes you know you got to have the glass ones you see in the commercial or the polar bears those ones that's what i drink right now it's the one month of the year especially when there's snow on the ground the one month of the year where i'll have a ton of sweets i'll drink a lot of pop and I'm not going to feel bad about it until after Christmas. Once it turns Boxing Day, once the World Junior Tournament starts up, it's back to beer and salty, greasy goodness. That's that's where I go after the holiday season. If you want to tell us or tell me or us, Alex, I know Alex isn't here again, but you know he'll, he should be here next week. It's finals week for him, guys. He's still a college student. He's he's working hard. You know he's not hardly working, working hard. But nonetheless. If you want to tell us what you like during the holiday season, do you like the glass Cokes? Do you like the lovely sweets that your grandma makes you or your mother or your sister, your girlfriend, wife, whatever. If you like those stuff, tell us by using the hashtag the cool podcast, hashtag TKP. Tweet us at the cool podcast and tell us what you think about today's show because it may not be a long show today, but there is some substance. There is some meat, some greasy goodness in this episode here today. And we're going to start off with a little bit older of news in terms of it was a few days ago. It was a little bit closer to last week. But Calgary, it was already announced that they were going to get a new arena. That was for certain. Obviously, the funding was the biggest question. However, last week, we got the word on how it was going to be sorted out. 
the $565 million project to build Calgary's new arena slash little village slash epicenter, if you will. $290 million of it will be funded by taxpayers of Calgary, Alberta. And now this is kind of right in the middle of everything. Obviously, people are mad because, yes, you have to pay extra taxes in order to fund the new arena. Kind of similar to what happened to in Detroit. Not many people liked it. I get that. You have to pay a little bit more in taxes per week. It comes out of your paycheck. You don't like it. Nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody likes paying taxes. Trust me, when January 15th hits, I just I get mad because I have to pay them. I don't, I don't get, I'm at that age now where I don't get anything back from the government. I just pay the government to go away. I'm at that point now. Now, granted, yes, I don't know exactly how taxes work in Canada. I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to worry about that when I played there. So if you have a little bit more insight, please, at the Kiel Podcast, tell us. Tell us how bad we are, how, how, how mindless we are about how bad taxes are in Canada, because I'd love to know. I know that... Some people obviously think they're, that people say that they're higher than the United States from what I've been told from colleagues and friends and such and old teammates of mine. So I get it. That's why it probably could be a little poor, a little more than you would like to pay for. But that's just, and it's hard because it's one of those instances where you'd like the team to pay for it. You'd like not the city, but the government to pay for it. But then you're going to have an issue with what the Oilers had. And it just, it was not going to work out cleanly. And that's why I think just going with getting, it's, and, and the, the nice part is it's not the full. Because they remember, there was a brief period of time where there was going to be word that the city was going to have to pay for it itself, or at least the majority of it. This is a little over half, $290 million. So it's not as bad as it could be because there was whispers that it was going to be in the $400 million range, I believe it was. I can't quite cite my sources because I'm trying to figure out where I saw it. I don't know if it was a tweet or whatnot. But nonetheless, there was a possibility of it being worse. But the arena itself should be ready by the 2024-2025 season, which by that point, I believe, well, first of all, Matthew Kachuk will still be a Calgary Flame because his contract's going to be a few years. I think that actually be towards the back half of the his contract, if I'm not mistaken. Johnny Goudreau will be close to. He will be looking at our good friends at catfriendly.com. Johnny Goudreau will be signed. Pardon me. He is he'll be a unrestricted free agent in 2022. Monahan and Backland. Well, Backlund will Backlund signed through 2024. Monahan is signed through 2023. Currently, no Flames are signed until that season, or at least through that season, excuse me. Matthew Kachuk is making the Great Bridge deal of 7 mil for three years, which will definitely go up after that. And if Brad Trilliving has a brain in his skull, which I know he does, he is going to make sure Kachuk wears a Flames uniform for a long time. Of course, yes, you'll have to sign Goudreau in a couple of years. You actually have to sign Goudreau and Mana or Goudreau and Kachuk the same years. All right, just remember that because that could be uh, pretty bad. I don't know, okay, not pretty bad, but it will be rough to have them go 
bang, bang. It'd, it'd be like if Matthews actually had waited with Mitch Marner to do their contract together. Oh, yes, Tyler, how does this affect the Leafs? Oh, come off it. I'm trying to think of another duo that went into free agency at the exact same time, and I can't think of anyone else on the same team I'm talking about. I know Patty Kane and Jonathan Taves signed their contracts together, but there was really no possibility of either of them leaving. That's why they signed the same contracts together. This is a different story because, well, Matthew Kachuk is a restricted free agent, and he's a really good player. So we'll have to see how that goes when that day comes. We may not even have this podcast anymore. Will the earth even exist in 2022? Who knows? But other than that, Calgary paying up money. Other people that have been paying up money have been a few players that have committed penalties. Very severe penalties. Well, severe penalties in the fact that you had to pay a few thousand dollars. So there have been, there were a few incidences. Incidences? Incidents. Mother of goodness. I do get paid to talk for a living, guys. Not, like I said, not doing this, but I do get paid to talk, which is shocking when I mess up the word like incidents. Incidents that happened last week. First, Ryan Johansson. Fined for elbowing Braden Point. Pretty clear-cut play. Johansson, elbows up, catches Braden Point high. All right, that's a penalty, right? Cool. Kicked out of the game, and $5,000? The max allowable under the current collective bargaining agreement. Evander Kane, in the same week, fined for elbowing Radko Gudis. Pretty blatant play. $5,000. Okay, then. Let's dissect these two first. We'll get to a couple other incidents shortly hereafter, but let's talk about these because, first of all, what has made people think that elbowing is okay? Where where in the rule book does it say, you know what, for one week, anyone can elbow anyone. It's the NHL purge. Elbows up, high hard hits. Headshots all day, er day. What made Johansson and Kane think? Yes, Evander Kane's been one of those guys that's played out with an edge, and he has a history too, mind you. Why in the world is all of a sudden Evander Kane getting fines for strip elbowing guys? He didn't hide it. It wasn't like he went for a shoulder check and missed. He went elbow up right up in the side of Gudis's brain. And he's only getting $5,000. Listen, I know I am probably am annoying the crap out of all of you folks, for talking about the player safety every week. And I'm pretty sure that I'm on George Peros's you-know-what list. But guess what? I I have... He, he keeps giving me stuff to talk about because here's Vander Kane, a guy that has been suspended before. He was suspended earlier for with the, or the incident with the ref. Yet, he's getting fined. I understand, yes, there's hitting incidents, but he's been fined before for hits. He's been suspended before for hits. Why is all of a sudden... An elbow, just because Radical Gudis was able to play and stay in the lineup, is a finable offense and not suspendable. It is an illegal hit. It is a dirty hit. It is a cheap hit. And yet, just because you had to go with what you gave Johansson, it's a $5,000 hit. Where is the... I'm not, I'm not going to say consistency, because the NHL player of... NHL player... To, Department of Player Safety has been consistently garbage 
for the past, what, two years? I, I don't... I don't understand where the thought process is about a guy that has a history can pretty much get away with a hit. This is kind of similar to, I, I, I know it's football and American football and whatnot, but think of it this way. Remember when Randy Moss, when he was playing with the Vikings many years ago, when he, when he mooned, when he made the gesture of mooning the crowd in Green Bay, and Joe Buck lost his mind or whatever, and he got fined $10,000. And he made a joke about it, paying, oh, straight cash, homie. I'm paying straight cash. What's $10,000? What's 10 g Nothing. Evander Kane. What is $5,000 to a guy that's making $6 million a year? That's nothing. That's chump change. That guy pays $5,000 a week to pay where he lives, probably. But it's still nothing. Okay, more like $5,000 a month. I get that. But still... His weekly paycheck, please. I'll just fork that over to you. He'll probably give you a tip as well. Has that much money. You kidding me? Ryan Johansson. Ryan Johansson. Same thing. Elbows, Braden Point. Completely uh, intentional. And, of course, last week, Eric Sarnak elbowing Rasmus Dahlin. He actually got two games. Remember? Remember when people got suspended for elbowing? Remember that? Holy cow, I don't remember that. Jeez, it was so long ago. It was only seven uh, seven days ago. Because remember, it, it dropped live on the show. That Saranek was going to be suspended. And here we are this week. What changed? Was it because Gudis didn't have a concussion? Was it because Braden Point returned that same game, that same night? Oh, because he didn't get hurt, it's not a penalty. I get that. You're right. That's exactly... No, that's not how it works. I feel like Harrison Ford here. That's not how the force works. That's not how player safety works. Oh, he was okay. We don't need to suspend him. It's like saying, you know, a person steals a gun from a from a gun shop or a gun store or whatever and doesn't use it. Oh, it's okay. He didn't actually hurt anyone with it so clearly it's okay that he stole the gun no the guy goes to prison i know yes the lesser scale here we're talking about a, a sport not you know felony and stuff but in terms of the rachel rule book elbowing is a misdemeanor or a fine i don't know a felony i don't know what you want to call it no matter what the point of the matter is is that Players that have had issues before. Now, yes, Johansson, I do not believe he has a history. Don't quote me on that. Haven't found anything on, on my research before I did the show tonight. So there may be something hidden somewhere, but I feel like a suspension would not be hidden. So one or two games would have been fair. Evander Kane probably shouldn't have got seven, eight, nine, maybe ten games. Why? Because he's done something like this before. He's been suspended before. He's been fined before. I know you want to look at each case, each incident as a case-by-case basis, but when there's a guy that's done something before, you do something about it. You don't suspend a guy that deserves to be put behind bars to give a slap on the wrist. Are you kidding me? I, I, I feel bad that I actually take time nowadays to actually talk about player safety because it really, I'm not. I'm really just pounding my fist into a brick wall and expecting it to move. 
And yes, all of you at one time just said, yes, finally, he agrees with us. I get it, but I have to report on it because why? And Brady Kachuk getting a couple thousand dollars for going after Scott Lawton. I, I got nothing on that one. That one was... Uh, we, we, we did the Bertuzzo incident in recent episodes. And that was a lot more egregious. Brady Kachuk just losing his mind for five minutes was... I mean, Scott Lawton was able to get up and go with it so we can kind of chuckle about it, but... Just seeing it, just seeing him lose his mind was, it just, it shows that obviously people have the animalistic tendency inside them where they just forget who they are and what they're doing and just snap. So, I mean, it's, I mean, he got, I think it was a little over $2,000. He was fined $2,000 for, no, $2,486.56. I know it's like a fraction of your contract, so that's why it's that kind of amount of money, why it's to the cent. But just make it twenty five hundred. Just round it off, please. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Brady Kachuk would not mind that. Twenty five hundred, sure, please make it even. And then we had an incident in the Colorado Montreal game the other night. Nikita Zadorov. Have we said this name before on the show? Yes. In a good light? No. Absolutely not. Why would we? Decent defenseman. Complete dummy. Goes in the corner with Jesperi Kakaniemi. Kakaniemi, for those that don't know, that are not Montreal fans, that apparently are West Coast fans, because there's a lot of you. He's a very talented young center. He has a lot of upside. He can put up points. He's arguably probably going to be part of the future for the Montreal Canadiens. They go in the corner in the Colorado zone, and Zadora puts him into the boards while they're going along down behind the goal line. And the way the play goes is he hits him, and then Kakinami ends up going ass over tea kettle and falling on top of his head. Concussion. Still out today, reported. Did not skate with the, did not travel with the team, did not skate with the team on this Tuesday, December the 12th. No, December the 12th. December the 10th. Sorry. My issue with this, people are asking if there was a slew foot. It's hard to tell because he didn't throw him back. A slew foot is when you actually really get your arm in front of him and you pull the leg, pull your leg behind the other player's legs and take him out. It didn't look like that. The issue I have here is the fact that if you watch the hit through and through, yes, he gets caught up in... in the stanchion in the corner, it's in that perfect spot where it starts to round off and you're caught. Kakaniemi hit that spot, and the problem is not the fact that he landed on his head. I mean, obviously, yes, it's bad because, yes, he, has, he was concussed from the play, but the reason why he ended up flipping was because Sidorov finished him. He finished through, he turned and threw him down, which caused him to flip. Do the windmill. That's what he did. Remember last year, guys? Elias Pedersen, Michael Matheson. Remember that? Yes, you do. Alex and I got into a real good tillier about her. Why did I have a problem with Michael Matheson's hit? Not because he threw the hip. That's fine. It's because he drove him into the ice. Nikita Zadorov, finish a man in the corner. It's a fine hit. When you throw a guy down to the ice and making him flip on top of his head, that's a problem. What did Zadorov get? Not even a slap, not even a fine, not even a slap on the wrist, just a 
Just a glare from the Bell Center. There was nothing. Didn't get a penalty. Didn't get anything. The league has the ability to review these kind of plays. It's called video. It's called YouTube. Sportsnet posted it. Sportsnet posts everything. They post pretty goals, amazing saves, funny bloopers, and pretty darn dirty hits. Or questionable hits, we'll, we'll say, for the sake of the argument. For the sake of altitude sports. Because, yeah, I mean, they're all probably thinking, ah, it was a clean hit. It was, just, it was unfortunate what happened. Well, guess what? Go take your biased SEC opinion somewhere else, all right? This is a play that you see it live, and you see a guy flip and think, whoa, that was crazy. But then you watch it again, and you watch it in slow motion. You see Zadorov extend his arms after putting Kakinyemi into the boards, and Kakinyemi's feet starts to come up. That's fine. It, looked, it ended up looking like Sammy Kapanen, where he just falls on his back. Yes, he may get the wind knocked out of him from that. That's fine. The problem I have with this hit is that when he continues to follow through and drive him into the ice like he's choke slamming him, he's not Kane, he's the door off. Listen, the big red machine and whoever, whatever nickname you want to call Zadorov, probably there's a few of you want to give nicknames from Quebec and Montreal that probably I can't say on this show, but I, I couldn't even say the French ones either. Can I? No, I can't. I couldn't do that. Because there's probably someone out there translating and probably say, you can't say that, or however you say that in French. My French is very poor, but I know a couple of the swear words. I was one of those people that took the class and pretty much just, well, I could have looked it up online, obviously. Rosetta Stone, Google Translate. I'm pretty sure it's the actual website with actual accurate translations towards curse words and such like that. But nonetheless, I'm trying to get myself to believe that there will be a better day for the NHL player safety. By that, I mean they'll figure it out. They will eventually start righting the wrongs, give proper discipline for their act for actions of players who make dirty plays. I'm hoping. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pray for it because I don't want to waste the Lord's time on that one. Because guess what? What, what do you, What's going to happen here? Is the NHL going to do something? Oh, yes, the NHL has its hands full of other things right now, which we'll get to here in a minute. But there's got to be some form of a reconciliation or questioning or someone to hold somebody accountable. Because you're seeing these players go down. You're seeing these players get injured. Goodison Point, yes, they're okay. They're in the lineup still. Scott Lawton, he's okay. He's in the lineup still. But here's the door off putting Kakaniemi out. And as far as I know, it sounds like out indefinitely. Am I missing something here, guys? Am I missing something here? No? I, I'm trying to figure out where the eventual correct call is made. Now, yes, it's like actual officiating in live NHL games. We may never get it. Probably never will. People are human. But here's the difference between calling a game live and being a Department of Player Safety, where you can review and watch a play over and over again to figure out what the punishment should be. Why are they allowing themselves to look like buffoons when they have the ability to look and say, wow, you guys see Zadorov at one angle where he 
extends his arm and he drives him into the ice, causing him to flip on top of his head. You're right, George Perios. We did see that. We should actually suspend him. That's a good idea there, guys. Way to go. Uh, pats on the back. All right. And three or four games for Zadorov. Because at this point, simply anything would be great because there's nothing. Now, yes, I, I will admit, I shouldn't say anything because if he, if he was just fined, I would have something to say about that. I will. I'll eat my crow where I see it. All right. But right now, it's looking like if you're looking at the NHL Department of Player Safety meetings, all right, uh, exhibit, or we have case number 223. Here is Zadorov hitting a guy. Anyone see anything wrong with it? Nope. Okay, moving on. Click, and that's it. That's pretty much what sounds like it's happening. Ryan Johansson elbowing Braden Point. All right, it's a clear elbow. All right, yeah, it looks intentional. What are we going? $5,000? Yeah, fine. Okay, cool. Moving on. Vander Kane elbowing Radko Gudis. Yeah, it looked pretty... Uh, Oh, uh, you know, he probably was trying to go for a shoulder check, just missed him. You know, Radko's Gudis, you know, he's he's a very, you know, easy target to miss despite being his size. $5,000, $5,000, okay, cool, next. It's it's like they're not even trying. That's literally what it's looking like, what it sounds like. I would love to be in one of these hearings or meetings or whatever you want to call it where the, player depart- the Department of Player Safety gives the verdict for punishment on an illegal play. I'd love to see it because I want to try to fathom what's going on here. Because I, I can't figure it out right now by myself. I'm trying to understand, trying to understand the thought process behind the decision-making with this department, and my IQ is dropping faster than anything else. My IQ is dropping like gas prices are going up right now, all right? That's what it's going like. It's going up. It's going down pretty fast as gas is going up pretty quick right around the holiday season, you know? Nonetheless, minimal fines for more severe acts. I'll try next week, guys. I will try my darndest to not talk about player safety next week. But you all know the problem with that is the fact that something dumb is going to happen. And I'm just going to have to yell about it and get angry about it again. But, unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the NHL. The nature hockey league. Nope, that, that'd be bad. Nope, we're not going to go with that. x name that one right now. Cross it off. Erase from your brain. Erase from your brain like George Perilous erases Princeton education. Hey, there you go. All right, let's segue out of this somehow. We got to get into some nitty-gritty stuff here. Because obviously the Board of Governors meetings with the National Hockey League happened this past week or the last couple days. And one of them, of course, one of the big talking points was a new declaration of principles and code of conduct. So Gary Bettman went in the front of the media last night to talk about what was was going on in the Board of Governors meetings. Because obviously they're trying to figure out a way to ensure that the recent events or recent allegations around coaches and such recent allegations of abuse, racial slurs, homophobic slurs. They don't want to ha- want to have it happen again, which is good. And Bettman went out and talked about how one of the points he talked about with the, the board of governors was like, they don't like surprises. They don't like surprises on the fact that, you know, they did not know about Bill Peters until Akima Lu said something. And they did not like how all of a sudden the stuff about Mike Babcock coming out after he was fired was all of a sudden a big thing. They don't like to, they don't, they want to know, they want to be in the know. And that's why they're, 
importing a new code that if if anyone, management, player, so on and so forth, they're going to install a hotline somewhere you can call, email, whatever, and say, hey, if you have any signs that there's any reports of abuse, or if you want to report any abuse, call this number for, you know, for players, staff, so on and so forth. Please do so because they should be reported immediately. And if, you know, incidents that come out later after the fact, the people involved and the teams will be punished severely. I'm just paraphrasing Bettman, by the way. I'm not gonna I'm not going word for word because he does say uh a lot, and I know that I say uh on the show, but if if you are in a public speaking class or someone that does talk in front of large crowds, saying uh is so painful. At least it is for me, because I don't like sounding like I don't know what I'm going to say next. Even though I'm pretty sure some of you say like, well, you clearly don't think about what you're saying anyways. Well, that's neither here nor there. But I like the way Gary Bettman was very upfront about it. Yes, of course, he brought off a script because with something like this, you really don't want to go ad lib. Trust me, when I talked about it last week, at some points, yes, I was lost for words, but I made sure I got my main points out with what I wanted to talk about because it's such a a huge issue. And Wayne Simmons, of course, coming out saying that every player that is African-American or of a minority that they have heard a racial slur. And yes, it's I'm not it's it's not unavoidable, but the, it's it's hard because it's just it's the way the game goes and it's unfortunate that it's ever been the case, but well, I mean look at the world we're in now, look at the world we were in then many years ago. That's people are it's still a fight. It is still a fight. And that's why I'm glad that the league is stepping up and doing something about it. They're trying to implement, they're going to implement new training methods. So for any of you that have ever really worked for a big company, there has been, you know, you've taken, I'm sure at least I did in my other job, I took like diversity training, like online training and so on and so forth. And granted, some of us didn't take it so seriously because well, I would say we thought we were good people, even though, yes, it's me, the one that's talking right now. But the point is that there is, it's the fact that they're making an effort to make sure that inc- diversity, inclusive training is mandatory because then you kind of, at least you have an understanding and that there's zero excuse when you do something dumb after that. And the NHL is going to start implementing these and he meant he was very it was odd because you would think in a situation like this you'd make sure it's for everyone including players however it's just for head coaches assistant coaches both NHL and AHL and manage, general managers and assistant general managers not players that part i'm not so i'm not 100% satisfied with cuz guess what there are hazing issues in the NHL remember this the players are not the complete victims here. We talk about Akeem Alou, right? Remember the whole Steve Downey incident back in Windsor. I don't know. I don't know anything that happened in the NHL. Not, but there have been stories from the past. Nothing recently, of course. But 
what I'm getting at is I think everyone should be held accountable, not just management just because, wow, it's only been GMs and coaches that have been doing this. Well, players, players are not saints either, guys. You should hold everyone accountable. You should make everyone take the training. If you're going to go through this, you go through it 100%. You don't go 85% and hope it sticks. No. This is not something you can put a B effort into, a B grade effort. This has got to be a A plus 100% effort. You got to cover all your tracks. So everyone does it. If you want to play in the NHL, you want to you want to get you want to sign an NHL contract. All right, got to sit down on this laptop for 45 minutes, slide by slide. Take this training, take this quiz or questionnaire afterwards. Do what you got to do, so that when you do something stupid, we're not the one to blame said by the NHL, if, I mean, that's what they would say. It's an interesting time we're in right now for this game. We're not at a crossroads. I'm not going to go with that narrative. But right now there is a time, and the, the game is starting to change, and it's starting to change for the better. The execution of this change in, inside the National Hockey League is vital because... It is the biggest league in the world, biggest hockey league in the world, and it is one of the four major sports in North America. It is important that this goes through and goes through thoroughly. That's why Gary Bettman made it very clear with his questions that were being asked that he was he was a hundred hundred percent that they were they were obviously going to act quickly, but they were not going to act too hastily when it comes to this because they want to make sure that they are 100% in what they do with this. This is not something, like I said, you can't be great. You cannot put a B-grade effort into this. You've got to go full tilt. So we'll see how what the NHL does here, what steps come out. I don't think we'll hear anything more coming out of this unless there's another coach that gets fired. See what I did there? Led to the severe segue, very bad segue. Jim Montgomery, fired. By the Dallas Stars. And I, so when I got the tweet on my phone that Montgomery was fired, I immediately thought, what could have happened? I, I honestly, one, I only had to think about it for a second because I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, well, Dallas is in a playoff spot, right? Have they, have they lost a few games? Are they not playing well? What's, what's been their issue right now? Are they just not playing good hockey? Have they fallen off a cliff? I mean, they're first in the wild. They have the first wild card spot. They can't be playing that bad. They're six, three, and one. Okay, that's not awful. They've won their last two games. Okay, they're not playing bad. They're, you know, four. They're right now two points ahead of Vegas. They're technically tied with Winnipeg in the in the Central Division. What's wrong? Hudobin's playing great. Bishop's playing great. What's happening here? Then Jim Nill. When while making the announcement, by oh, by the way, noted that due to a material act of unprofessionalism, they had to relieve Jim Montgomery of his duties. Now here is where it gets a little interesting. If you're going to read into it, Gary Bettman said during the press conference following the Board of Governors meetings on Monday night said that there were no current investigations that they were on that they were performing that have not been made public. Jim Nill 
said during his morning presser today, before obviously making the announcement, that there was an there was a a con- contact was made Sunday night about something that may have happened, and there was an investigation and in, in talks with owners, management, and the general counsel of the Dallas Stars that led to the decision to fire Jim Montgomery. And, of course, now everyone is speculating hardcore. And it makes you wonder what happened or what unprofessionalism occurred because Tyler Sagan, you know, the one of the star players, no pun intended, came out and said that he was expecting Jim Montgomery to be his last coach as a Dallas star, meaning that as long as Sagan was there, Montgomery was going to be the coach. Well, that's not going to be the case anymore because he was fired. Now, I'm not going to sit here and go through the possibilities of what could have happened because, trust me, anyone who's ever worked in the corporate world at all can make up a thousand possibilities of what could have happened. And probably 99.9% of them are inaccurate. So we're not going to do that here. But from what we've experienced the last few weeks, who knows? You think you know a coach, but then you hear that one story come out. You hear that Mike Babcock drove Johan Franz into a panic attack, an anxiety attack on the bench. And you're hearing about all these players that are coming out and saying, man, that team won, you know, Darren McCarty saying that the Wings won the cup in 08 in spite of Babcock, you know. And, of course, Bill Peters beating players on the bench and calling, you know, using the N-word towards Akeem Alou and so on and so forth. So we don't know, and I, I don't. People are obviously saying that there'd be better news if, or it'd be better PR. I was seeing a couple people talk about saying that it'd be better if they just got it out of the way and said it. Because in terms of having speculation, obviously theories can run wild. The human brain is a very interesting place. Nobody wants to visit it because it's absolutely horrifying of what the imagination can hold. And this is that kind of a case where we don't know what happened because they're not telling us. Now, will the information be released later? Possibly. It could be released literally in an hour, a couple hours from now, or tomorrow, maybe Thursday. Who knows? It could. But the point of the matter is that something could happen here soon. It could be announced. I just want to know why the stars didn't make it clear. And yes, of course, don't forget, all these allegations that have been put out that have you know led to Bill Peters and, and led towards Mike Babcock and, of course, Mark Crawford as well have been brought up by former players. And that could probably be the case of why the Stars haven't mentioned anything yet. And the odd thing is, not the odd thing, excuse me, the, the more intriguing factor is that it does not have to do with former players. So currently something is going on currently with the team right now that led to the decision to relieve Jim Montgomery of his duties. Once again, I cannot emphasize, emphasize, emphasize this enough. We do not know what the word is. Would I like to know? Yes, I would. I would like to know. Because I want to know if how bad of a person Jim Montgomery is. If he's bad enough to, I mean, what form of unprofessionalism did he perform? You don't know. Could have been 
An affair with the workplace associate? Could it have been player abuse? Could he have said something to the media? I mean, it doesn't sound like anything he said to the media was wrong. He didn't sound like he said something out of line. There was videos being posted of his last media availability yesterday. Didn't sell anything bad happened. He was joking around about who he should play in goal the next night against New Jersey. Ironically, New Jersey, they're playing them tonight. New Jersey was bouncing back from firing their coach, John Hines. So they'll be moving forward with Rick Bownis, one of the assistant coaches. He's been named interim head coach of the Dallas Stars, just given the interim tag, not the full-time tag. And this is a club that they're hoping, the reason why they will keep Bownis and they're just Jim Nill and them and co, they're going to try to see how this goes. Because this is a team that's in a playoff spot right now, 17, 11, and 3. And they're, I, I don't think this team is a Stanley Cup team by any stretch of the imagination, but you still want to make the playoffs. It's too late now to sell the farm and tank. Detroit's way ahead of you on that, for, on that front. They're getting like, well, the whole Lafreniere Byfield deal is up for debate. Still, we got a whole half a year to talk about. I mean, World Junior camps are opening up here soon. By the way, Alexi Lafreniere injured in camp, but it's expected to, to still play on the team and will probably be still. He won't play in the exhibition games against U Sports or pre tournament games, but he should be able to go on Boxing Day. But. Back to this story here, we have a hand, Montgomery out as head coach of the Dallas Stars, and what? how will they do from here? We will see. Like I said, they are in action here tonight, taking on the New Jersey Devils. They are playing at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time, 7.30 Central Standard Time, local time in Big D. I mean, it's, you, on paper, it should be a win, but who knows how, Who knows how the team is feeling? Because sometimes, you see, like I said, players kind of get a little bit of a jump from a, from a firing and a new head coach. I mean, you, I mean Calgary's playing, they're 6-3-1 and one in their last 10 games. They've won their last five. Hey, that, that firing didn't look like a bad idea. Obviously, different circumstances. Excuse me. Obviously, that was, you know, circumstances that kind of led to him being fired. The Flames really didn't really have much of a choice. I mean, they had a choice, but they made the right one, obviously. But obviously, they're playing a lot better. The Leafs, you know, they're 5-5 five and five in the last 10, and they've only won one game, but they there are signs of improvement. But, hey, who knows what will happen with the Stars? I want them to be better. They're playing in such a tough division that the fact that they're in the position they are right now with Chicago really falling off right now and Nashville really stumbling, they're kind of fortunate right now to, where, to be where they're at. They're fortunate enough that they were able to get out of that 171 slump that they started the year on. But now with a new coach, and if you ask me, a relatively unproven coach, a guy that's been an assistant in the league for a few years now, how will they respond? How will the players respond? So we'll see how it goes for Dallas in the future here, heading towards the Christmas break. I, I'm i just trying to figure out what 
their game plan is going to be in terms of moving forward because they're such a a weird team because I didn't expect them to continue to do what they did last year, but it's looking like the same thing. They're putting pucks in the net. They're keeping them out. They don't have the hugest goal differential. They only have a plus six goal differential. However, they've only allowed 76 goals this season, which compared to the rest of the league is, I'm looking at it right now, I believe it is second. Correction, they're third. They're third behind both Arizona and the New York Islanders. Boston Bruins have given up 78 goals this season, right behind Dallas for now fourth in the NHL. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to catch the Islanders unless Thomas Grace and Yaroslav Halak both blow their hips out and you're going to have to call up a goaltender from the American League. But even then, that goaltender won't give up that many goals. But the defense they have in front of them, they're not giving up a whole lot. And it is kind of funny to look at how few goals the Islanders have given up because they've only scored 86 this season. And in terms of all the playoff teams, let's put it this way, guys. Tampa still has 103 goals this season, and they are currently looking at the standings right now. They are only three points out of a playoff spot, but they're not towards the top of the league. Let me just put it that way for you. But nonetheless, Islanders doing really well. But Dallas... They're in a good spot right now. If they can, I think if they can just stay the course, if if Brownus can just if Brownus can just kind of keep the guys in check, keep them playing the game, and kind of coast towards the postseason, you have a shot. I just don't know how how will the players react to the firing. Obviously, like I said, it's currently something going on with the team that led to Montgomery being fired. No, there was Radul, there was of course Radula being healthy, being scratched. And Montgomery coming out last week by saying it's what's good for the Stars. So maybe there's something there with Alexander Radulov, a guy that is part of that top line of Sagan, Jamie Benn, and Radulov. So maybe that could have something to do with it. Nonetheless, moving on. I guess, yes, I know. It's a kind of a short show this week. I know. Didn't have a whole lot to talk about. My, personally myself there is obviously a lot more into the board of governors meetings but i'm not going to really get too much into that if you want to of course you can always go to all the great media outlets sportsnet tsn you could even go to the nhl network even though or the nhl.com even though they're pretty darn good at making sure that they just kind of post the happy stuff and firings they don't really have too many editorials or opinionated stuff but looking at one of the things that also came out of the Board of Governors meetings, the World Cup of Hockey will not happen in February of 2021. There was a possibility, since the, if the CBA was not going to be reopened by both the NHL and the NHL Player Association, that there could have been an opportunity for a World Cup of Hockey instead of an All-Star game, which would have been great taking a week off, week and a half off or so and put the best on best within the league itself it would have made for some really good hockey. However, they announced that there was there's not enough time to do it even though there is I mean there's a little over a year to if they wanted to perform a World Cup of hockey and I get it it's all tough because you have to try to set a venue, make sure the scheduling works out so on and so forth. 
But the problem I have, it's not the fact that it's not going to happen, the World Cup of Hockey. The problem I'm going to have is if you want to make this a legitimate event, you got to have it more consistently. You need to have it more than sporadically. You can't have it from 96 to 04, then 04 to 16. You're, you're looking at eight years, then 12 years apart. You have to make it a consistent basis. Now, yes, the league has been very inconsistent of how, you know, whether or not they're going to be around in four years, if they're going to be playing in four or five years with all the CBA talk and so on and so forth. So it's hard to make a gamble right in the middle of CBA negotiations. So, I mean, when are you going to do it then? You're going to do it the, the fall of 2022, right after negotiations? I mean, the only option you could do with that is you could plan for you, you could plan the event, I guess you could say, if you were going to do it then. So it would be before the 2022-2023 season, all right? The idea then would be you plan the event, you book the event, you book the rinks, or if you just do it in one like you did in Toronto, or you do it like it was done in the first two World Cups where it was kind of played around North America, you could do it that way. No, no matter what, you book the rinks, you book the events, the schedule, so on and so forth. And then... If you don't, if the CBA doesn't work out, it's not signed yet, not set in stone, then you you cancel it. That's better. You don't want to have what happened in 04, of course, because it was pretty much everyone realizing this will be the last time we see NHLers for a year. That was the last, and it led, and it was such a sad time that it led Marilyn Mew to get into a fight. Do you guys remember that? It was American Canada, and Canada was wearing those gold 1920 sweaters, 1920 vintage sweaters. And Marilyn Mew got into a fight. Uh, those, those, were some, those were some interesting times, man. Jeremy Roenick was broadcasting, too, while he was, like, he was playing, but he didn't make Team USA, so he was still broadcasting. 2004 was an interesting year, all right? Not a good year, by any stretch of the imagination. It was the end of the dead puck era and the beginning of the lockout, and... But it was, I mean, it was a fun tournament. I mean, Canada won. They won in overtime. Vinny LeCavier with the game-winning goal, by the way. But my point is, if you want to make the World Cup of Hockey a legitimate thing, you have to sit down with the Player Association, with the league, and say, all right, every four years, you have to do it. We have to do it. So you have to do it in, you can't do it in 2022, at least in the f- February. But... You can do it in 2022 and then bring it back in 2024. Quick turnaround, I get it. But, heck, they, they did that in the Olympics. They did it in 92 Olympics. They had the 94 Olympics. They had the two Winter Olympics. So they decided to make them every 18 months apart, which is, a, which is good because then you don't have to worry about jamming two Olympics into one year. So, similar to how the World Cup of Soccer goes. They go in the Winter Olympic year. So, for example... So, for example, coming up here in 2020, there'll be the Summer Olympics. There'll be no World Cup because there was one in 2018. 2022, Winter Olympics are going on. World Cup of Soccer. All right. So, hockey model here for you. 2020. Can't do it now, obviously. 
but that would be the year of the World Cup of Hockey. So that's why I say you do it in 2022, bring it back in 2024. Keep the interest there. But 2024, that's the last year you do it until 2028, the next Olympic Games, the next Summer Olympic Games I'm talking about. Because you obviously have 2022, and then you'll have 2026 as being the, the Winter Games. And then 2030, which means you'll do it in 2032. And you'll space it out and you make it an annual event. I'm not saying do it in the summertime because you're not going to want to compete with the Olympics because that's just, it's just not going to work. But do it in some form of that fashion. Do it every four years. That's what makes the World Cup, the Football World Cup, such a huge deal because it only happens every four years. Now, yes, Euro, the Euro tournament's always kind of jammed in the middle, but it's the entire world. It's the entire the entire globe battling for world championship supremacy, being the best team in all of football. That's why if you put on the event every four years in hockey, it makes it so much more premier. And if you allow non-NHL players to do it, it makes it even better. Because then, if you keep the NHL going to the Olympics, you're actually better than... Olympic football, Olympic soccer, because then, because everyone knows the best players don't go to the Olympics, in, at least in men's soccer. Women's soccer is a little different, but men's soccer, they don't. They send the best in the world to the Olympics in hockey. You send the best in the world to the World Cup of hockey. You're looking at every two years having a major tournament. Because everyone knows the World Championships, yeah, they send a lot of NHLers over that don't make it into the playoffs or make it deep into the playoffs. So you see a lot of great talent go there, don't get me wrong, but the fact is that it's not as big of a tournament. It's not a best-on-best tournament. Imagine every two years getting that. You're telling me that you can't afford that? You're telling me you can't afford to take a couple weeks off to have Canada, Russia, Finland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, whatever, make it six countries, or if you want to do a Team North America and a Team Europe again, that's fine. Do it that way and just see the ratings come in. The 2016 event was a, was a huge success. Team North America was this little darling that everyone started to love. And yeah, they got jipped because they forgot to play in the second half of the game against Russia. But man, can you imagine Canada versus North America? What I'm trying to get at here, folks, is that there needs to be a better plan. We can't just say, all right, we're going to have an event in 2021. Cool? Cool. There it is. No, you need to plan it better. There needs to be a more set-in-stone format for this tournament. Or at least by that, I mean dates, when you're going to do it. You can't just, oh, let's uh, let's do this thing in 2000-something uh, or another. We're going to do it this, this one year, right here. We're going to plan it for this one. No, plan ahead. Get everyone on board. It's almost better to cancel it because of a lockout than, all right, we're going to try to do it this time if this happens. Oh, no, we can't do it now, though, because it's too late. No, that's not that's not how it works. That's not how good business works. And Gary Bettman's a lawyer. You should know this. I'm not saying Bettman's the reason why there's no World Cup of Hockey. But what I'm saying is, is that there's got to be a better plan because this tournament would make a lot of money for a lot of people. It'd grow the, I'm not going to say it'd grow the game but it would put a bigger world spotlight on it, you know? 
it could be it be it could become more than an, I'm not going to say it's going to be like a second Olympics, but you can get an entire Slovakian team, you can get an entire Latvian team, an entire Belarusian team, or something like that. You can get more than just six teams and two made up teams. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. You can have a Slovakia, you could have a Kazakhstan, you could have a Denmark. There's opportunities for a massive tournament to happen. There just needs to be the right stability in place to make it work. And unfortunately, until that happens, it's hard to take it as a legitimate tournament until we know when it's going to happen. We've had three tournaments since 1996. Over a 20-year span, we've had three tournaments. It's not really consistent. Nonetheless, the I guess the news is no World Cup in 2021. And that's all we're going to go with on that. Now, the last topic we're going to get into here today is, yes, the right now the most highly touted possible free agent in 2020. However, he is looking to be moved before the trade deadline. Ladies and gentlemen, the first overall pick, of the 2010 National Hockey League draft, Taylor Hall. Yes, we're going to get into it. So Taylor Hall, Hart Trophy winner, 2018. Gets injured last year. Devils, bad. This year, comes back. P.K. Subban, Wayne Simmons, Corey Schneider possibly making a great return to form. And they are bad. John Hines is fired. Taylor Hall, clearly not happy with his situation playing in New Jersey, even though before he had come out and said that he wants, he, he, his, he was rejoiced, he was rejoiced, he, his love for the game was renewed playing in New Jersey because he probably learned the fact that playing in front of the Edmonton media and Mark Spector is not a fun time. So we're at this stage of his career now where he's a very highly touted player, still very good, he didn't get the Hart Trophy, folks, for no reason, guys. Let's let's put that out there right now. He is a very good hockey player, and one can still be effective for the right team. And there have been whispers. There were whispers of him returning to Edmonton. What would that cost for the Oilers? And right now, the Oilers, if you are looking at their cap friendly, they are not in the worst spot, but they're not in the best spot either. They currently have, by the way, we should mention Taylor Hall, currently making $6 million. Put that out there right now. The Edmonton Oilers right now have only a little over $1 million in cap space. So yes, that would mean that Ray Sherwin and the Devils would have to retain, or they'd have to make a deal with the Oilers to dump off some cap space, which right now, the way the Oilers are playing, you don't want to give up a whole lot. You have the right kind of players around them, you have McDavid and Drysaddle clicking. Nuge is playing his good role. James Neal, not consistent scoring, but he's still doing what he needs to do. So that's why I don't think that would be a good fit for Hall financially. A team that is financially susceptible to possibly picking up Hall is one that everyone's been talking about. And yes, it is the Colorado Avalanche. Colorado has one of the biggest cap spaces in the league right now. They currently have five, excuse me, they have $6.397 million in cap space, which would, in spades, clear have enough space 
for Taylor Hall. You wouldn't even have to lose a player in order to afford Taylor Hall. Now, uh, that said, New Jersey's going to want something in return. And in terms of draft picks, the uh, Colorado Avalanche have their 2021st, the Maple Leafs 2023rd, which they acquired in the trade that sent Nazem Kadri and Callie Rosen to the Avalanche for Tyson Berry and Alexander Kerfoot and a 2026th, which that means they don't have their 2026th this year. However, they have Florida's 2026th. They have their first-round picks in 2021 and 2022. They have all of their picks through the next two years. No additional picks, just all seven rounds of the 2021 and 2022 NHL drafts. Pretty much meaning that Joe Sackick has a lot to play with if they want to bring in Taylor Hall. You could offer two first. You could offer a first and... I don't know, Valerie Nchushkin. Valerie Nchushkin, by the way, who's starting to pick up some numbers, pick up some points, that could be a guy that Saka could use as bait. But other than that, I don't know what you'd want to use because you don't want to give up a goaltender. Philip Francis has seemed like he's doing an all right job. It doesn't sound like Antoine Bebo and Adam Warner are going to get anywhere near the Colorado lineup. And... You look at what they have defensively. Yeah, Kelly Rosen's in there kind of bouncing around, but Samuel Gerrard's a guy that they're really looking forward to the future. He's getting paid $5 million for a long, long time. You're not going to move that, even though, yes, that would free up enough cap space to have even more cap space after the fact. He is signed through 2027, by the way, for those that are keeping track. But... It just seems like on the base of finance alone, you could fit Taylor Hall. Now, the big question, of course, would be where would you put him? I mean, you can't, obviously, the top lines occupy with Landeskog, McKinnon, and Mr. Miko Rantanen. But that second line's looking a little interesting. You know, I'm liking the way possibly. Hey, I'm looking at the depth charts, the cap friendly, something you also can look at as well, something you can follow on Twitter as well, at CF Depth Charts. Burkowski, Nazem Kadri, and Jonas Donskoy is currently the quote-unquote second line for the Colorado Avalanche. And I wonder, I wonder. Now, yes, Nazem Kadri is day-to-day with a lower body injury, so who knows with how long that will be. But Taylor Hall can make a real impact on the second line. However... Wait, Don Squay's been playing this year, 27 points in 30 games, alongside Burkowski, who has 23 points in 27 games. There's not a whole lot of room. I mean, unless you want to put Taylor Hall on the third line, yes, I did say that in good conscience. Then you bump Nachushkin or Nieto down and move Calvert and Comfort out of the lineup, but it's a it's a tight fit, and this is obviously where you say Taylor Hall. You want to win. You have a, want a chance to win a championship. You're gonna have to take a back seat to the guys that we have now, because that line's been working. That second line with Nazem Kadri has been working out all right. You got to think that Taylor Hall has to respect that fact. You want to play, or do you want to? Excuse me. Do you want to play 25 minutes a night, or do you want to win the Stanley Cup? I mean, if, you, if you're able to, now granted, yes, if Hall comes over, plays third line, and that line starts clicking, boom, all right, you're playing 18 minutes because you're able to run three lines that can score. Holy cow, Taylor Hall's never had that in his career. I don't think he's had that since, I don't think he even had that with Windsor. Now granted, those Windsor Spitfire teams were dominant beasts, but I don't think they were that good where they had three lines of 
you know, world eaters. If you imagine putting Taylor Hall on the third line that can put up that many points, and you know, Pierre Edward Bellemare has had a hasn't had a great year in terms of points, only nine in twenty nine games, but he's not expected to put up that many points playing the third line. But he maybe put him with a guy like Taylor Hall. All right, yeah, you have me talking here. You have me interested here. But it all depends on what's right for Ray Shiro. The problem, though, with Taylor Hall is that what you're looking at with the Devils is you're looking at a player that, yeah, you're looking at it from, if you're looking at it from the outside, I should go into. If you're looking at it from an, any other GM in the league that's trying to get Taylor Hall, you want, you want to see how desperate Ray Shiro is. Because, listen, you don't want to lose Taylor Hall for nothing. You don't want to do that. You want to get something for him because right now, with 25 points, 29 games, his stake is pretty high. You could ask for a couple first-round picks for that. Maybe a couple first-round picks in a second. You know, you can put a little bit into that pot saying, hey, you want him? Add a little more. Add a little more. Hey, this team's offering me this. What do you want? You have that power. But at the same token, you play a little too high ball, then eventually someone's going to say, well, that's just too much. We're going to back out. And then, boom, you're stuck with Taylor Hall. He ends up walking in free agency. You get nothing. That's not the way that the Devils want to go right now. So you're going to have to be smart with what you're going to, what you want to get. You got to set a certain bar of how much you want in return and understand that it may be too much for certain teams. If Ray Shiro really wants to work with Joe Sackick, I'm sure he's been looking and scouting what he wants from them in terms of players. Now, yes, draft picks are great, but it sounds like New Jersey wants something here soon. They want some, or someone that can play in the NHL soon and be capable in, soon. Not necessarily a Taylor Hall replacement, because that's almost impossible, because Joe Sackick would not trade anything for that right now. But someone that can play in the NHL and be a dominant, not a dominant, sorry, not dominant player, but a capable player, a guy that can produce, a guy that can play well, a guy that can be relied on. By the way, I was wrong about the Twitter feed. It's at CF underscore depth charts if you want to look at the depth charts through Cap Friendly, which is slowly becoming one of the powerhouses in terms of roster management, roster and salary information and all that good stuff. But where will Taylor Hall go? The trade deadline is still a few months away. However, you want to kind of get a guy like that now so you can get him implemented in the lineup. So by the time the trade deadline comes around, he is fully suited and ready to go. He's well-versed. They play, He puts up points. The team plays well. They win the cup. Happy, 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 happy. But that is all for this one here from the Kiel Podcast. Yes, I know, a shorter episode. Couldn't get a guest in here this week. That would have been awesome. We'll try to do that next week. Probably should give some information regarding, obviously, two Sunday two. Two Sundays, two Tuesdays from now will be Christmas Eve. Obviously, we will not be doing a show that day. We'll probably be doing one the Monday, the 23rd, or the weekend prior. Stay tuned. Follow us at the QL Podcast, and you will get all the up-to-date information on that token. For any of you folks that are in the Grand Rapids area, West Michigan area, any of our listeners from there, be sure to come out to Patterson Ice Center Friday and Saturday. D2 Hockey, the one of the teams I broadcast for, is hosting their 10th annual Angel Tree Toy Drive. However, this year is very special because it's the first year that we're making it public. For the last 10 years, Coach Green & Co. has made it 
an event that players and coaches bring gifts to donate to the Angel Tree Toy Drive, which is a toy drive that is donated and helped out over 20,000 kids that are a little less fortunate than others. Make sure they have a happy Christmas. And this year, we want everyone else involved, so we're asking fans to come out, bring a toy to the games Friday night and Saturday afternoon as they take on Purdue Northwest. Come out, bring a gift, get into the game for free, catch some good hockey for a good cause. It'll be a fun event. There's a meet and greet after. However, I will not be there because I'll be making my way up to Big Rapids because I am going to join Harrison Watt on another broadcast of Fair State Hockey Saturday night at 7.30. That game will be on the Bulldog Sports Network and the 98.7, the voice or the Sunny FM, the station of Bulldog Radio. Also be live on flowhockey.net. I'll be on there as well because that's where I'll have the video feed for that, which, yes, it means you'll see my ugly mug for at least 45 to 45 seconds to a couple minutes, depending on how long I start talking. Hopefully not too long. I'm sure Harrison will cut me off if I go too long. Nonetheless, busy weekend for me. The last weekend, though, for me in terms of broadcasting before Christmas, which means I'll have a couple weeks off, which means hockey writer's time. Probably write a couple pieces for Montreal. One of course, my it'll obviously it'll by that point Christmas it'll be my end of the month re- recap for Laval Rocket, and I'm trying to get out to the GLI, the Great Lakes Invitational. I know Harrison and I talked about it when he came on the show about a month ago. Now he he'll be there with Fair State. I will try to get there writing for the hockey writers, providing some good college hockey hashtag content. That'd be really fun for me, I know for sure. If you want to talk about this episode and tell us what you think about where will Taylor Hall end up, what the, you know, the firing of Jim Montgomery, what do you think happened? If you want to go into that whole schmeal and get about your conspiracy theories, go ahead. If you want to talk about the new Declaration of Principles, you know, the fines that should have been suspensions, what do you think about the poor folks in Calgary? They're going to have to pay, pony up $290 million. Tell us what you think. Use the hashtag TKP. Hashtag the cool podcast. Tweet us at the cool podcast. Let us know what you think of today's episode. We'd love to hear from you because, I mean, we just, we like, we like, we like, we like to talk. You know, it'll be fun. Chit chat. Have some good time. Maybe have a cup of coffee. You know, talk about our feelings. No, actually, that, that would get bad. That would not be good at all. But that is it for this one from the Kuehl Podcast. Thank you, folks. Once again, I am Tyler Kuehl saying goodbye. We'll see you next week on the Kill Podcast.